0: So Pastor Scott um, is with Campus Ministries. I met him as he was a campus minister at Grand Valley State University that meets here um, during the school year. But then God gave him a vision that was bigger than just Grand Valley. He said, hey, Scott, I think he just kind of knocked on your uh, mind and said, hey, there's a lot of college campuses down here. And so um, God's used Pastor Scott to um, plant a vision that our region has said yes to, that the Lord wants thriving campus ministries at Grand Rapids Community College, at Kendall School of Art and Design. He's working with Davenport now, Mm -hmm. Ferris, Grand Valley, wherever the Lord leads. Huh? You're wanting to raise up campus ministries, so praise God. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Gina, and thank Mm -hmm. you all for having me this morning. the Lord, you know, the Lord has to reveal things to me slowly. Uh, it's a bit of a, uh, the Lord is amazing, right? Can you say amen to that? Amen. And it blows my mind. I am from, uh, I playfully say a lot of times we go on mission trips with students and uh, we see amazing things that God does there, as Brendan testified to this morning. So it's amazing. Like I, I spend my whole life hanging out with guys like Brennan and Rachel. Is it? I mean, what an amazing gift that the Lord has given me. But I am uh, a, a white kid from the hood who has no background, like nobody in my family went to college. Um, and so it amazes me that the Lord would actually place me in a position um, that I get to not only be with uh, lots of college students whose lives are being transformed by the gospel, but then be able to help spread that in other places, and other colleges and universities. Uh, because it's a, a clear indication to me um, that what Paul says in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is true that God uses the foolish things of the world to, to shame the wise and God uses the weak things of the world to, to, to shame the strong so that all glory goes to Christ. And then I can also testify that he uses foolish people and <laughs> people without capacity in order to demonstrate that it all the glory belongs to Jesus. And so I'll share some of that with you uh, as well this morning, but I am grateful for the partnership that has struck up uh, come up uh, around Gold Ab Church. And most of you are probably not all that aware of it, but it was about this time of year, five years ago, that the Lord was raising up this vision in our team at GVSU and saying, for us, again, it was small at the time. It was, what, what does it look like for us to have ministry at the GVSU campus downtown? And we said, Lord, what, what do we do? How do we, how do we do this? There's no space together at the downtown campus. We have a large, thriving ministry in Allendale, but there's really no gathering place in Grand Rapids for us on the campus. What are we going to do about this? And we're prayer walking, well, I'm, I'm prayer walking around the, the community in the area saying, Lord, if we're going to do this, you've got to give us some place to gather with people. Lo and behold, there's this place called Gold Ave Church. And I look at it, and I'm like, wait, wait, that's a Christian Reformed church. It's a Christian Reformed ministry, and I'm a Christian Reformed pastor. Hey, maybe we can be friends. <laughs> and so I literally, about this time, five years ago, I just kind of, Hi, I'm Scott. I'm a pastor at Grand Valley. Would you let students meet in your basement? I mean, really, I'm a slick salesman. The Lord had to give me something to do. Um, But that's really how this relationship began, and, and what was going on at the time was, you know, the Lord has been putting in our hearts that we have some role to play in ministry with this campus that's right in our neighborhood, but we just have no idea what it is. Oh, hey, maybe we should talk about this. And uh, from there, the Lord has led to amazing things, not the least of which has been the meeting of students in the basement upstairs in this space, the renovation of this space we were grateful to help be a part of. And um, the Lord, my my takeaway from all that is, and then we'll transition to hearing from the word specifically, but my, my takeaway from all that is God has something special that he wants to do in the lives of young adults here in Grand Rapids, and he wants to use his church to mobilize and catalyze that. And I am grateful to be a part of it. And I I hope you uh, are grateful to be a part of what God's doing to transform the lives of young adults uh, for the kingdom uh, and give them a vision for what he is doing here in this city. Does that sound good? Amen. Isn't it cool to be a part of something God is doing? Yes. Well, uh, as we transition now to hear a bit from God's word, we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. Uh, this morning, and it is absolutely one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. So when Pastor Dave and Gina reached out and said, we're kind of going through the book of Luke, would you be willing to come on this particular week and preach? And I said, I would really like to do Luke 15 if if that would work out. And it actually worked out kind of sort of perfectly in a, in a shoehorning thing kind of a way that uh, for me to be able to come and share this with you this morning. So we trust that the Spirit uh, on this day where we remember Pentecost and celebrate that has something special through this text for all of us this morning. It contains probably one of the most familiar parables in all of scripture. If you are brand new to the church, or if you have, you're kind of walking in for the first time, you probably know at least some passing reference when I say the term prodigal son, right? You kind of know what that means. And if you're like me, you just presume that that means something about waywardness as a wayward son. Uh, But actually, as I've spent the last year meditating on this text in various ways. Um, I, I actually looked up the word prodigal. I'd never done that before, all the way through seminary. I never actually looked up the word. Again, I'm not that sharp of a guy. The Lord is good to me. Um, and I looked up the word, and it actually means lavish, overdoing it. That's kind of cool. It's, it's, it's a story about not a, not a wayward son as much as a, a lavish son, an overspending son, an extravagant son. It kind of puts a different twist on it. But I want to wonder t- the, with you this morning, maybe, maybe the lavishness isn't about the son at all. But we'll come to that as we, as we walk through the story. So as we look through uh, this text, you, I think you just did chapter 14, is that true? Did you just do 14 not long ago? Okay. So 14, we meet Jesus. And at that point in the story, there's big crowds following Jesus, right? And he turns to them. As Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, closer and closer to his uh, uh, eventual crucifixion, large groups of people are following around, and it becomes more bold and more brash about who he is, what his identity is, and what he is called to do in his mission. And he turns to this huge group of people, and he says to them in chapter 14... If you want to be my disciple, you have to take your cross and follow me. Whoa! I mean, there's a big group of people following you, Jesus, and he turns around to them and he says, If you're going to come with me, come all the way. Decide now if you're coming. And you might think people would start to back off. (laughs) This guy's a little too much. But in fact, what we see in chapter 15 is that more and more people gather around Jesus. Chapter, uh, verses 1, chapter 15 says this. Now sinners and tax collectors all begin to gather around to hear Jesus. Isn't that so different than the way we think about evangelism? Like, we usually think we got to water Jesus down. He's just a little too salty. We've got to water him down, right? So people can just get a taste of him before, before you give them the full spoonful. But, but actually, we see in 15 that the more Jesus is bold, the more he's open about who he is, what he's called to do, and who he is as the Son of God, the more people start to gather around him. Tax collectors and sinners all start to gather around to hear Jesus, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Ah. Here we are, gathered around Jesus, this large group of people, and on one side, the tax collectors and the sinners. On the other side, here are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I mean, this is about as far apart as you can get in terms of groups of people, right? So I know, uh, we'll just say on, we'll say on this side are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I say that because my wife's on this side, uh, teacher Mr. Nate Adam is on this side. I mean, this is clearly the side of the Pharisees. This is the good side of the room, amen, right? This is the, this is the godly people, the people that do the right things. These are the white sheep of the family, Right? This is the good side. Pharisees, man, these are folks who grew up, went to church, did all the right things, became pastors, uh, Sunday school teachers, uh, Christian school teachers, right? Teachers of the law, they grew up, they went to church, they went to Sunday school, they did the right things. Christian school teachers, missionaries, Jays here, right? He's definitely a Pharisee. He's right in that group. <laughs> then on the other side of the room, though, you've got the tax collectors. And the sinners I mean, Pastor Jean and Dave are here sketch, right? <laughs> this side of the room, right? task collectors, those are the kids that grew up, they went to church and they traded in their faith for getting paid. Uh, the sinners they're in the room, right? They're the folks they grew up, they went to church, they heard about they heard about God, they heard about his ways, but they traded that in because, as Billy Joel says, the sinners are just much more fun, right. Okay, man, I thought that would work here. It didn't work at all on campus. Nobody knew who I was talking about, but I thought it would work here. All right. That's all right. We'll keep going. <laughs> Two very different groups of folks all gathered around to hear Jesus, and it would be no surprise if a lot of them knew each other. They grew up together, but they made some very different decisions about where their life was going. Maybe you can relate to that situation. Anybody you grew up with going to church that, man, the last time you saw him, you thought, man, what happened? Or maybe it's someone that was a part of this church. And the last time you ran into him at the, at the store or down at the gas station, you're like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe for some of you it's closer to home than that. Maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a child. Maybe it's apparent. And you find yourself feeling judgmental toward them. Man, they should know better. They know this isn't the life God has for them. See, the Pharisees are the butt of all of our jokes most of the time in church. Oh, those silly Pharisees. Don't they get it? Don't they know what Jesus is saying? But man, how about us? How about the resentment that we have in our hearts? against our neighbors, against our co-workers, against our family members. One side of the room, man, versus the other side of the room. How about the way we talk about those neighbors who just let their kids run around and do whatever they want all hours of the day? How about the way we talk about those darn college students who have parties every single weekend? How about the way we talk about those people standing on the street corner with signs saying I should give them money when I worked hard for mine. See, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to mutter, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Well, in response to the Pharisees and the teacher of the law muttering this, Jesus tells three stories. Two of them are short. One of them is really long. They all have the same point, but one of them has a little something extra. And I want to share those stories with you this morning. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to present the, the word to you. The gift of meditating on uh, one passage of scripture over a period of time is that it just starts to get written on your heart and inhabit you. Uh, and so I've uh, had the gift of being able to memorize this particular text. And so I want to share that with you with just a few little caveats along the way um, that I think help illuminate the story for us. So, brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord from Luke, chapter 15. Pharisees and teachers of the law were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, excuse me, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law Began to mutter, This man welcomes sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus told him this story Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one. Does he not? Leave the 99 out in the open field and go search carefully until he finds that lost sheep. And when he finds it, he joyfully picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it home. And then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me, friends. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents Or suppose one of you, or suppose there's a woman that has ten silver coins for her wedding dowry. She loses one. Does she not light the lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors and she says, Rejoice with me, friends. I found my lost coin. I tell you, there is more rejoicing among the angels of God Over one sinner who repents. Or suppose. Suppose there's a man who had two sons. And the youngest son says to his father. I want what's coming to me. Give me my share of the family business. And the father divides his inheritance between his sons. Not long after that, the youngest son liquidates his assets, devastating the family's business and reputation, takes the money and goes to a far-off country where he squanders his entire inheritance, throwing parties. And after he'd spent everything, A severe economic recession hit that country and he was broke. So he went and became a hired servant to a citizen of that country and his job was to go out in the field and feed the pigs and he longed to fill his stomach with the food that the pigs were eating. Yuck, indeed. But no one gave him anything when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I'll go back. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but please, please, Make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up. And he went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son began to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father couldn't hear him. He was too busy calling all of his servants, Hey, quick, bring the best robe and put it on his shoulders. Bring out the family ring. Put it back on his hand. Bring sandals for his feet and go kill that fattened calf and prepare it. We're going to have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead. And he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. And they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older brother was out in the field. As he got close to the house, he could hear the sound of music and dancing. So he called one of the servants over and he said, what's going on? Your brother's come home. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother was furious. He refused to go in the house. So the father came out to him and he pleaded with him. But the son said, Look, look, All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed anything you've asked of me. And you've never even given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But here this son of yours, who squandered your money on hookers, comes home and you kill a fattened calf for him? My son, said the father. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. We have to celebrate and rejoice today. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost, but he's been found. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Wow, what a story. Three stories, two short, one's long, and one of them has a little something extra on it. It's an incredible picture of heaven. An incredible picture of grace, is it not, that Jesus gives us with these stories. The joy of heaven breaking through on the earth. It's like when a shepherd finds his lost sheep or when a woman finds her lost coin. It's like when a father gets his lost son back home. Nothing can stop the joy. Nothing can contain that joy. The whole host of heaven are doing the cha-cha slide. When the younger son comes home, it's a party. I'm glad somebody caught that. Thank you. Appreciate that. I said the whip and the nene if it was on campus, but that would probably be even worse. Everybody is celebrating, that is, except the older brother. And in the shadows of these stories of prodigal joy, overflowing, extravagant joy, feasting, dancing, party, stands a bitter older brother who refuses to go inside stands outside disdaining a father's compassion for that boy who instead of getting what he has has coming to him, gets a party instead. Muttering to himself about how his father welcomes a sinner of a son back home. Now in the shadow of the stories of joy, the message Jesus gives to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law becomes crystal clear, doesn't it? Don't be the older brother. The joy of heaven is breaking out right in front of your eyes. Don't miss it. And friends, I believe that's the word that Jesus has for us too. Don't miss it. When the joy of heaven breaks through to interrupt your life. Don't try to restrain it when the joy of heaven breaks through the anger that's living in your heart. Don't shut the door when the joy of heaven is breaking through to transform an enemy into a friend. And don't miss the small steps along the journey. Man, rejoice when your crabby boss comes in with a smile on his face, not so he'd be a little less of a prick today, but so you know that when you see joy breaking through, it's a sign. Man, heaven is breaking through. Rejoice when your addicted sibling has one day of sobriety. Heaven is breaking through. Rejoice when you wake up with a song in your heart, even when your spirit says nothing else seems to be working right. Heaven is breaking through. The angels of heaven rejoice, my friends, every time one person repents, every time one person turns to God because they know it's a sign. Outbreaks of joy are a sign. The Spirit is here. God is on the move. And in spite of all the brokenness, all the breakdowns in our own lives, all the disappointment that we have living inside of us that says this can't work out, God isn't giving up. He's not giving up on his plan to transform all sadness to joy. To bring home all lost sons and daughters. The angels rejoice, friends, because they know the joy of heaven is the only thing that wipes away the tears of the earth. So, whenever you see it, whenever you see heaven breaking through, we celebrate. It is a sign to us God's not given up. He's not given up on you, He's not given up on me. He's not giving up on your siblings. He's not giving up on your kids. He's not giving up on your parents. He's not giving up on our city. He's not giving up on our nation. God's not even giving up on Donald Trump because he's God. That's who he is. He is absolutely bent on his notion of transforming all sorrow into joy through the kingdom of his son. And that's what he tells us with this story. So if you, friend, have been wandering from the Father and you feel like there's just no way back in the door for you, not after what you've done, not after where you've been, the message from Jesus to you is just come home. Just come home. And what you find when you come home is that what the Father feels for you is not disappointment, but compassion. Come home. He's looking for you. He can't wait to throw his arms around you, to kiss you, and to welcome you home. And if for you, you identify a lot more in the story with the good son the older son, always doing the right thing, going to church, doing your job, taking care of business, but you found that your heart has been growing hard, hard toward a father who just seems so quick to welcome sinner sons and sinner daughters back home. You find that you're even... Feel the sense of resentment building up against those sons, those uh, brothers and sisters who have wandered far and yet still find so much grace. The same invitation is for you come home. Did you notice in the story that the father goes out to both sons? It's a trap door, Jesus sets you up. Because the older son wasn't home either. He was out of the father. He was away from the father just as much as the younger son, even though he lived in the same house. Maybe that's the invitation you need to receive. My child, everything I have is yours. The angels of heaven are the servants of the Lord. That's not true for you. You are made in his image. You're his child. It's for you that Christ came, that Christ lived, that Christ died, that Christ rose, that Christ reigns. So for you who carry this burden of a servant, always trying to earn your keep, receive the joy that comes with being a child. Come home to the Father. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your word always comes with us, to us with comfort and joy. And so for those of us that are hearing this word as invitation to, to come home, having been so far from you, we pray for the courage and the grace to take one step in your direction so that we might find the loving arms of the Father. And Lord, of anyone that's here uh, this morning that is hearing that invitation and wanting to respond to it, God, again, give them the grace to respond. Give them the courage to take that step of saying, I'm not worthy, but I'm yours. And for others of us, uh, Father, who hear this word as a word of conviction, that our hearts, while our bodies are present with you, our hearts and our spirits may be distant and far from you we pray, call us too to repentance. Give us the courage and the grace to say we too were not worthy, but we're yours. For all of us, Lord, we pray for the gift of the joy of being a child again. Renew that or awaken it in us to live in the glorious freedom of the children of God. We want that, we ask for it, and we trust that you want it for us even more than we can imagine it for ourselves. We pray that in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ and through your spirit, present and at work right here, right now. And we all say together, Amen.